Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pop. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Dalru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awakairangi Kitai, where I'm recording today. Yay! It's Saturday! Thank the Lord. It is so nice that it's Saturday. And it has been a week full of weird news, so there's apparently a Twilight TV series coming out now. Unnecessary. 20 years is not long enough. I'm just saying. It's not enough. (laughs) I kind of love that that is what's coming out. I mean, I know that everything is derivative and everything builds on itself, but like, they're also making a live action Moana. And I'm like, but why not just sequels? Like when I was a Disney kid, like during that age, they just made direct-to-video sequels and we loved it. Yeah, there's like three Lion Kings. Where is my Moana 2? I don't want live action Moana. I mean, I'm sure it'll be amazing, but like, where is my Moana 2? I agree. I agree. I want to see more Moana. Yeah. It has been a week of news like that, but that's okay. It's interesting being part of the world sometimes. Yeah, it truly is. Your jumper looks super comfy and really warm. I'm very envious. Thanks. It's like a thousand years old. I bought it from Primark back when I still lived in the UK. I have some stuff from Primark as well from when I visited in 2016 and I wear it every winter and it like was maybe five quid and it's still amazing. Why is that a thing? Honestly, this is why I don't really buy into the whole fast fashion. Like, I get that fast fashion is bad. Obviously, we should pay people a living wage. There's a lot of issues Absolutely. with it. But this whole, like, oh, it's not sustainable. I've got things that I've literally bought 20 years ago mm. for cheap that I still have because I look after my clothes. Yeah. So I'm actually like, mm, don't really don't really buy that. Don't buy fast. Anyway. You're really good, though, because you also um, sell a bunch of your clothes, which is good, I think. Like, when you're done with it, you're like, yeah, I'll just put it up on the marketplace or whatever. Yeah, I sell a bunch. I also buy a bunch secondhand, so quite into the circular economy for clothes. Love that. Especially nice clothes, because, like, I often find people spend a lot of money on, like, coats and stuff and then just never wear them. Or boots. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's got to be a great market out there right now, post-lockdowns, and everybody was buying everything online, and now they're (laughs) like, oh, time to get rid of it all. Nothing fits. Nothing nothing actually fit. (laughs) Yeah. And like Doc Martens, because people are like, I've been meaning to wear them in, but I'm just never going to do it. I'm like, cool, yeah. I will take your Docs for $100. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so much better. Oh, So what sparked joy for you this week? I think I just had a really productive writing week this week, Yay. which is really good. I got about 6K words down. Yes. So I only need to do one more chapter and then it'll be ready for like initial review for my crit partners. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty happy with that. Sparked so joy felt good. Wrote one chapter that felt really good, so that's always a good feeling, you know? Yeah, Um, well done. Yeah, spark joy. How about you? What sparked joy for you? Um, So I got up early on Sunday, um, because I'm a saint, in order to talk to my sister Whitney and her partner Jason, and they started dating in January, but um, she really wanted me to meet him, so we arranged for like a FaceTime call, and it was really lovely. He's a teacher, he teaches math and history. And um, we had we had we talked for like two and a half hours without even realizing it. We just had a great old chat, and it was really lovely to actually talk to a teacher who isn't in my part of the world. So like listening mm. to the like we discussed a lot of the issues that they're having, and he was telling me at the school he works at, which is my in, in the town my sisters my sister and my parents live. Um, there are three people in the admin office, like total. 
Wow. Yeah. So sometimes he was like, yeah, like sometimes a kid will say something and I'm like, right. Okay. So we're stopping class and it's becoming a counseling session. And he's a math and history teacher, but he still makes the time to do that. And I just had such joy and like love in my heart for the teachers who are out there in rural towns, just kind of being the jack of all trades, like looking after the kids the best way they could. I really appreciate all of them. So Hmm. I felt a lot of joy and I thought back to that conversation all week. So that's definitely my highlight. Oh, I love that. I'm glad you got to do that, even though yeah. I'm getting up early. Yeah, I was so, I was like, it's okay. I have my coffee about half hour into the conversation. I'll wake up and it'll be fine. Yeah. And then I had a big nap, so it's all good. <laughs> but yeah, speaking of family. Ta-da! Oh yeah. Nice seg. Thanks. This week we're reading <laughs> chapter six through 10 through the theme of family. Do you have a story for us, Jen? Do I have a story? Not really. More of a meandering thought process. So please bear with me. We love those. That's our brand. (laughs) I was thinking about family and I don't know why, but family is always an interesting topic for me. I think Mm. maybe because I'm an only child and I live very far away from my extended family and also from my parents. And I was thinking about family and how I've always found the English language word for family quite narrow and Mm. weird. So we've only got family, right? And family can mean your household or your nuclear family or it can mean your extended family right it's only one word for all of it in afrikaans which is my like native tongue we have two words mm. so you've got family which is family and chesin which is your nuclear family your parents your sisters your brothers mm. so there's a clear distinction and i remember being very confused when i first learnt. you know you, i've always spoken both languages but when you first think about it and you're like it's quite narrowing in a way to only have one word for both things and then when I moved to New Zealand you know I learned a bit of te reo and the te reo word for family is whanau which is really an extended family or community of related families who live together in the same area and often it can be three or four generations but it's not just familial in a lot of ways like people will call you whanau if you're friends right so you'll just become part of the you fold it into it which in a way also feels a lot more organic to me and it made me really contemplate how different families can be right so my mum's mm. family incredibly close-knit they are about three or four generations they're always in each other's business when I call my grandmother she was always telling me about people that I have no recollection of it's like <laughs> my aunt's cousins cousins sister's brother's son I'm like why would I know these people but they all know each other and they all like hang out mm. they do family barbecues they have family reunions all the time they're a very close-knit family And then you have my dad's family where until I did a family history project in like year five, we didn't even know my grandfather had a brother. So we sort of like reconciled these two brothers who had a falling out over their parents as well. And it's really great because my, we're actually really close. My dad's really close with his cousins from his, you know, uncle side of the family now. Like they're the ones we spend Christmas with in Melbourne. But it's just this really weird thing that we didn't (laughs) even know about. Like in my... My grandfather has a sister that he's estranged from. And so this whole side of the family, they never mm. talk to each other. No one knows what anyone is el- else is up to. Sometimes they'll go like years without talking to, like my dad will go years without talking to his brothers or sisters. It's just very strange compared to my mum, who was like so insular. That family is so insular. And then you've got me. So I've always been an outlier in the bigger family unit because I'm an only child. I'm the only only child. Mm on my mum's side of the family. They're all brothers and sisters, like, out of the cousins. My dad's side, I do, like, my oldest cousin is also an only child, but he's way older than me, so, like, never had any real connection with each other. But it's so weird when you observe the way that families keep growing. Like, all my cousins 
are now getting like they've gotten married they've got kids of their own right so the family is growing and then there's just mm. me again being like hello hi it's me <laughs> the only child single no children no intention of having any children right and how different our experiences of life is and how different mm. the word the different meaning that you take from the word family like what family means to me is very different to what family means to them because mm. their experience of it is so different now when i think about family i think more about the rituals that i've shared with the people that matter to me that's what family mm. is to me for me it's like spending christmas eve with my parents and we do a little fondue and that is our christmas eve tradition right it is my grandmother reading to me when i was little in bed in the mornings or yeah. my other grandmother making me porridge in the mornings like every mm. day before school right like those are the things that i remember i remember my grandfather taking me swimming or my uncle taking me like teaching me how to ride a bike things like that that is the rituals that stick with me and then i thought about the phrase blood is thicker than water right so mm -hmm. long history in the phrase it goes back to i think the 12th century german is when they mm -hmm. um traced it back to and there's different interpretations of it as this idea that blood isn't spoiled by water like family blood is not affected by say a baptism so if you yeah. if your father held certain beliefs you will keep those beliefs regardless of whether you've been baptized into the church that's not going to change your beliefs which is interesting and there's different interpretations and then later on there was this argument from a couple of people that said it's actually the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb the idea mm. that the bonds you make are stronger through the bonds you choose and make through fellowship and whatever is stronger than just being connected to each other through blood because you happen to be descendant of the same people mm. which i actually really love because i love the idea of found families and i love the idea of like you find your people and it is not necessarily the people that you are related to by blood because you have yeah. such different experiences and it's the relationships you make that matter which is why I really love the phrase, to go back to it, Fano, because Fano encompasses the people you love, the people you that matter to you. And I love the idea of family just being the people who are important to you, regardless of whether they're connected to you through DNA. It's what matters. Yeah. It's the rituals you make with those people. My new rituals that I have with, like, say, Meredith, who I spend many Christmases with here in New Zealand, right? She's mm. family to me. Like, your family to me. These things matter to me. Because I have relationships and rituals with you that are beyond my cousin's uncle's son's third time removed <laughs> yes. great-grandchild that my grandmother tells me about getting married. I'm like, cool, that means nothing to me. That's just interesting. So yeah, family. I love that. I love the idea of family as a community that you choose. And also, I like the idea of Fano as well because it doesn't... It's not quite so cut and dried, right? So if someone's in your funnel for a little while, but then there may be like the drift away, it's not this crisis of like estrangement. It's just life. I think there's something beautiful about that flexibility. Yeah, and there's also like flexibility and it's the raising of children, right? So often yeah. maybe your birth mother will not be the one to raise you. Your grandmother will or a sister or an uncle, like an aunt or whatever. It doesn't really mm. matter. The, the, the kid gets raised within the family unit and no one thinks that's weird. And I kind of love that. I don't like this idea that which I think we see a lot in Western society is like if the birth mother doesn't raise the child, it's somehow a failure of a family unit. And so often, you know, grandparents can be such amazing caregivers as well mm -hmm. or extended family. It shouldn't just be this really narrow view of what a family is. A family is what you make of it. Yeah, I think about this a lot because where I grew up, um, as I've said before, I grew up in rural Southern Oregon and family arrangements were just whoever was there to take care of a kid sometimes. And having kids... Mm my age who lived with grandparents was like completely normal to me 
I mean, one of my sisters, my youngest sister is actually adopted. And I guess biologically, she'd be my second cousin. But once we took her home, I was like, this is my new sister. And it never occurred Mm. to me that it would be weird. Like, it was just really common that like, if someone could look after a kid, the kid was looked after. And that was just how Mm. it was. I find it very strange now that like the nuclear family is the only one considered the only one. I liked it better when we had the idea of like the community comes together and everybody looks after the kids. And that's why I'm always flinging my kids at like after school activities. I'm like, go learn who your gymnastics coaches are. Let them love you. Go have art projects after school. Let those teachers learn and grow with you because we need community. And and kids especially need like more than one type of grown up in their life. They need lots of different grown ups to talk to and learn from. Yeah, I think that's Uh, sensible and smart. We should all have a 300 Fox way. We should. What a delightful time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a big topic. Do you want to do the chapter summaries for us? I will. I will. Okay. So Blue's first day back in school is pretty terrible. She's reminded again of the impossibility of dreaming beyond her means. And then Noah goes nuts and supernaturally breaks things in her guidance counselor's office. Fun times. Blue decamps to Monmouth to see if Noah's there, but finds Gansey instead and Mallory. And only then does Noah appear. He gets creepy and steals her energy. So she pulls the plug. A creepy smarmy dude comes to 300 Foxway to threaten them, but is thwarted when he doesn't find Mora to specifically threaten. The same smarmy guy turns out to be the new Latin teacher at Aglenby, and also he's the guy who ordered Ronan's father killed, Colin Greenmantle. He and his wife Piper have come to Henrietta specifically to destroy the Grey Man, but meanwhile, they'll enjoy a bucolic existence or whatever. I do love Colin Greenmantle. He's <laughs> such an interesting bad guy. <laughs> he is. He's so arrogant and so full of himself and so smug. And one of my favorite... One of my favorite examples of family is their weird little marriage where, like, she's cutting up a mango in her little pink undie set and she, like, tries to stab him and he just manages to avoid being stabbed because he's quick, not because she wouldn't yeah. have stabbed him. I'm like, okay, this is their marriage. Yeah. This is how their I family love that. works. And I love that you've brought that up straight out of the gate because I think that is such a great idea of the concept of family, right? Like, Because he has this little ponderous thought where he's like, the word wife isn't right. You know, it's just he doesn't like the word wife because it makes him feel old, basically. Yeah. But wife is what denotes them as a family. Mm. That's what connects them. Without that word, who are they to each other? Because they don't really match on any level. But yeah. I think they're both equally, I think they're both very much in love with themselves and are happy to Mm. have the other person be second. And that's what makes them compatible. But yeah, I, I think this is a starting point for as we see their relationship evolving over this book. It's quite funny. Um, and also they are so weird. They are so weird. It just, they are so weird. Yeah. I love how he's just yelling at the cows for being cows outside of his window. Like they're judging me and I'm a farmer because I'm on a farm. Like what? No, you're not. (laughs) It's great. I also really enjoy how he's like, well, let's talk about family. So I think family, Mm. interesting, because who your family is can define your experience of life, right? In yeah, various sure. ways, like if De- Blue talks about her perception at school and how her family has defined her experience at school where she was bullied and they're not bullied and she yeah. finds this place. It's the privilege of these Aglandby kids. It's because of who their parents and their families are that they have this, oh, I've summered here and done this and blah, blah, blah. You know, their whole experience yeah. of like, oh, my mum got injured so we couldn't go anywhere exciting. That whole yeah, yeah. idea. And of course, Ronan's family, which so defines him this you know Niall cast such a big shadow over them to the point where yeah. Green Mandel is like you look just like his father I can't wait to fail him 
which I really love because Latin is the only class Ronan <laughs> makes an effort in. And now you want to fail him? Like, it's going to be hard to fail him in that one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's... There are a lot of... In- there are a lot of interesting mini families, I think. I feel like Mallory and the dog are their own special family where they seem to Aww. barely tolerate each other. But, like, Mallory comes back from this hard day and the dog is like, I am now your blanket and, like, glomps on him and won't move. And, and there's this beautiful line on page 64. But Mallory merely closed his eyes and stroked him in an uncharacteristic show of affection. Like, it was just really beautiful. I'm like, oh, they're their own little family. Yeah, the family of two, right? Because he doesn't have anyone else, presumably, that we know of. Yeah, and we know that the like Blue is part of the Three Hundred Fox Way family, but she's also part of the Gangsy, right? And yeah, this like found family of misfits. Yeah, and and Adam has this wobble about how he's quite jealous that well, Ronan and Adam are both a bit jealous because Mallory has this connection. This it's almost like a family connection to Gansey. You mm-hmm. know, Ronan mm-hmm. says he knows everything on page 78 and he's like saying it to sort of feel Adam out and then Adam has to like think through it and he's like oh actually like the idea of Mallory spending a year with 15 year old Gansey he had to admit it was not just paranoia but jealousy so I love that section because the way that Ronan says it he's being so nonchalant right like Mm -hmm. it says he said in a casual way as he's writing on the whiteboard he's not even looking at Adam he's just saying he knows everything because he's also feeling that jealousy because I think in friendships and in family when someone else seems to have a better connection or a different kind of connection to than what you have, it do, feels like it devalues your connection. And that's something you really need to grow yeah. out of, I think. Like, you know, when your friend makes a new friend at school and you're like, ah, what does that mean for me? Yeah. Or when your friend gets a boyfriend and then your friend is gone. <laughs> like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you never see them again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, right. Okay. So we've I've been replaced. You do. It does suck. You do feel like you have been replaced. I don't think that Gansey's doing that, but there's definitely that insecurity of like, but I'm the important one to him. Yeah. And I love how Gansey comes in, right? And Adam has that moment where he's like, he almost didn't recognize him. He was this Virginia princeling again, right? Back from the start. And he then, Gansey basically slipped, like the mask slips when he sits down and he's just like, I haven't slept, you know? Mm. And there's that line on page 81. He remembered his manners and extended his fist. As Adam bumped knuckles with him, he felt an extraordinary rush of relief of fondness. Because there's this moment of connection. Of being like, oh no, our our unit is fine. This hasn't changed things. Yeah, I love that. I love that Adam is both terrified and expecting and also like he's terrified of losing Gansey he's also expecting Gansey at any minute to get tired of him and he's also like very scathing about Gansey's privilege like it's this real mix of feelings that he has all the time and he has to war with himself over like what he actually wants to do with it this is part of why he's so unknowable to himself because he holds a lot of contradictory opinions yeah, I love this. I think you really saw that in that section as well. He's just like such a walking contradiction. It was just something I really relate to. I remember when I was 18 and I just felt like everything about me was contradicting each other. Like mm. what I wanted, what I felt, how I viewed the world. I felt like everything, how I behaved, everything was a contradiction. And I didn't know how to make sense of that. You know, yeah. it's such a relatable feeling. Yes. I was a lot like blue. Blue in this chapter, I want to point out, I don't know if it's connection or not but blue likes to put things into one of two boxes she's a two box person so 
she writes or she says that you know there were people there were two sorts of people the ones who could see Noah and the ones who couldn't blue generally only got along with the former and that's like right at the beginning of the section on page 57 so she goes into this guidance counselor meeting and the guidance counselor can't see Noah so she's like "Mm, I generally don't get along with people who don't see Noah so she's already kind of predisposed to be like not receptive but I love that then Mallory sees Noah in the like next section so we've got this moment where it's like oh actually you're gonna get on with him don't worry about it it's gonna be okay because everyone's so like don't know what to do with Mallory yeah yeah I love that he's like do you uh do you know that you're haunted there's a there's a thing under there do you know about that you cognizant okay and he's like okay well you seem to have this in hand I'm going to retreat yes I mean to be fair if I saw a ghost in uh a house where I was staying and they seemed to be well aware of it I would be like yeah I'm going to bed see ya I think that was the tactical correct thing to do I would be like, tell me more about your ghost. Is it a friendly ghost? <laughs> Maybe I, I would afterward. But he's making the room cold and like he's kind of not all himself, right? Because he's in that state of decay. Um, so I would probably be feeling a bit unnerved by that. But I do love Noah, so. The thing I also love about that and like Blue's two box system about people who can see them and people who don't is the idea that mm. it is how you approach the world that opens you up to magic or not but like if you are just a skeptic then you're never gonna see the magic because you need to be open to it in order to perceive it it reminds me of like i think it was on tumblr where i saw this post about someone being like it should be a horror show where it's ghost hunters and one guy who's just a skeptic who doesn't believe in ghosts and they'll just send him in it to like calm things down because as soon as he walks into the room nothing happens and he just doesn't (laughs) believe in it because he's never seen it but it's because he doesn't believe that nothing happens that's awesome that would be great um the other thing about family that I thought was interesting is how we learn certain behaviors from our family, right? I would argue that this way that Gansey holds himself, this kind of lordly way, is something he definitely picked up from his family unit. Mm-hmm. But also Blue, right? She talks about that section with Noah where she's pulling the battery on him. She says, you know, she was certain her mother would have added something comforting about the afterlife. And she's trying to channel more. She's trying to do the right thing. She's yeah. like, oh, you know, I've grown up in this environment. I should know how to behave here. But then she says, you know, yeah. it's hard to sound comforting when she herself wanted to be comforted. Yeah, that that moment where she's, like, trying to figure out how to help him and she's debating with herself, like, oh, no, like, what, what can I do? Like, I feel like I could ask him if he wants to be laid to rest, but I don't want to lose him because, like, I don't want to do what, what is it? Blue was suddenly desperately afraid that Noah might want to actually die. This seemed like something Ghost wanted to be laid to rest. It was a dreadful notion of forever goodbye. Her selfishness warred mightily with every bit of ethics she had ever learned from the women of her family. And yeah. she ends up asking him. She's like, oh, I can't not ask him. Okay, do you want me to help you with this? And he's like, no, 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 no. But, you know, she still had to ask. And I think it's really hard when you have to make those decisions. And, like, the fact that she has picked this up from her family, she's been shown time and time again to do the ethical correct thing, you know, it, it's really informed her worldview. And I think it's really beautiful to see. Mm. Yeah. I think you could argue that for all of them in a lot of ways, how their families have informed their worldview. Adam's, Ronan's, you know? Yeah. Well, Adam's outside of himself all of the time because that's how he learned to survive. Yeah. Like, that's how you cope with trauma is you dissociate like, yep <laughs> compartmentalize so healthy not but he's doing that in the in latin class he's observing he's like pulled back and he's watching everyone and 
He's also a bit of a bisexual disaster, I will say. The whole bit with Tad, and he's like, he desperately masochistically wanted Tad to ask him where he'd summered, and I'm like, Tad likes you. And you don't like him, but you might that think is he's cute. It's such so a... relatable to me when he's like, the yes. biggest flaw with Tad is that he thinks like Adam doesn't like him and he can't tell. I'm like, this is my life. This is my life. The amount of times I'm in an office, I'm like, why are you talking to me? I clearly despise you. Why do you think we're friends? Why? Why? What about me suggests to you that we are friends? Explain. I want to ask people sometimes. I'm like, just tell me. Tell me what about me suggests How do I that you my can vibes? be here. Yeah talking to me what is it go away i feel like i feel like you give off very strong do not talk to me unless i talk to you first yes vibes. Correct, i feel like that is correct whereas i'm the one <laughs> so that people what? are like she's friend shaped and i am friend shaped you can make friends with me i'm i'm very hard to dislodge as a friend the other day i was complaining about something and my homie was like it's because they're intimidated by you and i'm like good they should be that is correct <laughs> She's like, well, you can't then complain about them not doing the thing. Yes, they should be intimidating into doing it. Yes. Oh, honestly. So I really, really vibed Adam there. I'm like, mm. yeah, you're right. That is the worst thing. It is the worst thing, Adam. I do love that. But I, I went a little further. I was like, why does he feel like this? And why does he not like him? And then why does he want him to ask him questions? And I was like, I also, oh, disaster. I also love that Tad goes to smack Ronan and then thinks better of it. Yes. Yeah, I love that too. I love Ronan's just like absolute presence as the snake on the desk. Chef's kiss. That is aspirational. Mm. We'll get there. We keep getting, we're working towards it. Um, the other thing about family and mm. relates to my story is this idea of connection fostered through ritual, right? Like yeah. Blue thinks about her birthday, how and Maura would normally yeah. make her brownies and how the woman tried to replicate it, but then Persephone just couldn't do a bad job with yeah. it, right? And they like came out perfectly. They weren't underdone. They were they had like lace pattern icing sugar. I was like, that's the cutest thing I've ever heard, that they came out perfectly. How very like Persephone to do it perfectly. And I love that Calla was worried that Blue would be mad. And she's like, well, I'm not mad at you guys. It's not your fault. It was her mom she wanted to, you know, smack or hug, mm. which is pretty fair. Interestingly, also, lots of actual mentions of the word family in this section, yeah, right? Like, heaps. we've got family photos on the guidance council of the desk. But mm -hmm. also, just that whole section about Glendower, just family, 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 which I think is interesting considering what happens later on. With Glendowen's yeah. family, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is definitely a book with a lot of family in it. And the way I, I kind of feel like this is the part where we see Blue starting to, like, strike out a bit on her own. And I'll talk about this in my in-depth a bit. But, like, when you get to a certain age and you realize that you will have to leave home, whether you're realizing it consciously or subconsciously, like, you know it's coming, right? And that's when you start to really, not chafe, but you sort of realize that you're outgrowing what you grew up with. And you're resentful of the change or maybe you're really excited for it. But you have a lot of those complicated feelings. And I think that Blue is really there right now. She's trying to make sense of a future that she really wants to have. And she feels like everything is impossible. But I think also the thing that she wants now for her future, for like going away, working as a watershed ecologist, which awesome, I support that. That would be what I would do if I could be a scientist. I think she's holding on to something that's like a pre-Glendower dream. Mm, interesting. I kind of wonder if like she's like holding on to it because it's something she's thought about for a really long time and she's not really assessing who she's going to be yet because she hasn't figured out who she's going to be yet and her family is such a big part of that but when you when you're preparing to leave when that time is coming closer like she's just turned uh, 17 and she's now in her senior year so this is like the year that you have to think this stuff through. 
That's a lot. It's a lot to, to dig through and it's a lot to feel. And she's mad because her mom's not there, which is like a feeling that you would have after you move out and you need your mom there. And she's not there. So it's kind of like a trial run almost. It's so interesting as well on page 72, she said, but, but because she learned something about herself today and she thought there was nothing left there to yeah. discover. This idea that she just knows herself so well and she like, as you said, she's thinking about a choice for her now, not who she's going to be. Because you think you know everything at that age, mm-hmm. which is why we should absolutely not send kids to like college at that age, make these decisions about what you want to study. You don't know. You don't know who you are. Oh my gosh, for sure. I have this younger friend, Amy, and she was sort of, 16 17 when we met and I was in my first year of uni here so I was 21 and she didn't want to go to uni she was like I don't need to I'm not doing my UAI don't want to do it and she did TAFE for a while and then she was like this degree is boring and she dropped out and then she just worked so she has a British passport as well so she just traveled to the UK based herself there and worked and traveled and worked and traveled and she did that until she was like 26 or 27 when she got a job as a teacher's assistant in a primary school in London. And then she was like, oh my gosh, I want to be a primary school teacher. And she was 28 when she went back to school. But like, it took her 10 years to figure out what career she wanted to do. But in the meantime, it wasn't like she was just doing nothing. She was traveling. She saw so much of Europe. She got to do really amazing things. And I was like, if I could give everybody that experience to like go and live a life and then figure it out when you're older and able to do it with all of the sincerity... And with that maturity, I would. I think Amy's a fantastic example of like really pushing back against the narrative and waiting until you know yourself. Yes, great. So two points that I want to make off the back of that. You've just reminded me. First, I think the connection between Blue and Adam and how similar they feel there. Right? You know, Adam talks about on page 80, it was himself that he couldn't seem to study or understand. And he also yeah. holds on to this dream of who he should be. And yes. what he thinks. And he's like weirdly like enamored by Greenmantle, who is this aspirational figure in a, in a very strange way, right? Yeah. yeah. And the second thing I think is just there's something about the connections we're required to make in order to survive in the world as it is within the yeah. existing power structures. We have to do all this nonsense. Like we have to network and you have to play the game and you have to make your mm-hmm. guidance counselor and this, that and the other thing and write your essays, which you apparently do in America, which is very strange. But you know, all these <laughs> things you have to do And it's painted as sensible, but it's so exhausting. And especially when you don't know who you are. And I think that really connects Blue and Adam and Noah because like, you know, the guidance counselor is telling her that she should put schools on her safety lift, schools that she can actually afford because that's just good sense. And she talks about how potential is for other people though, not for Blue. And then Noah specifically says, I'm tired of it. And Gansey says, you know, I'm tired of what? And he says, decaying. He's tired of playing this game because it is this narrative that we all have to buy into. Like, this is how time works. This is how life works. You go to school, you go to uni. If you don't do that, then guess your life is ruined. But you just end up and just part of the machine. I think about this all the time because I resent being part of the machine so much. Like, what's your dream job? I don't dream of labor. I don't want to work. (laughs) It's unfair. The dream job is the job that you don't take home with you at the end of the day and you can have a life outside of. It's enough to keep you alive without draining you of every single thing that could bring you joy. It's horrible. We live in this amazing world. I do not want to spend eight hours a day in an office, but what can I do? It's capitalism. Yay! (laughs) I did one or two office jobs and that was so hard because I just, I need to move around. (laughs) I struggle so much with office work. But retail doesn't pay as nice as well as office jobs do. No, but then everything becomes about money. We're always constantly making decisions about money, which I really resent as well. Which I think Adam also kind of resents because he has the same thought process. It's like, must get money to have the life that I want. But how get money? Mm. Get money by playing game. Game is soul destroying. But here we are, you know? 
He wants to just have all of that already so he doesn't have to work to get it because he knows he can work hard, but right now it's just drudgery and that's not very fun. And the thought he has about looking ahead at the, the term and knowing how tired he was going to be and how much he's going to work is just horrible. Yeah. The same way that it's horrible that Blue's looking at the school and she's like, well, there's no money for me at Foxway, I know that. She doesn't resent that, though. She's a much better kid than I was. I was really sad that there was I was not going to get any help from my parents, but there just wasn't anything. That's part of why I love living in Sydney, because you can just let your kids live with you as long as they need to. So if my kids want to do uni, that's fine. I've got room for them here. Yeah, I'm certainly very resentful, not of my parents, but Mm. we talk about it a lot because you always have one idiot in the paper being like, I bought my home when I was 23 and now I'm debt free. And it's like, I got 600 grand from my parents. And when I was talking to some mortgage advisors and stuff before we bought our house, one guy was like, well, can't your parents just lend you some money? I'm like, oh, yes, I will go ask my immigrant parents. If they can lend me some money. There is no money. But this expectation that... Because some people have it that easy. It's that easy Mm. for them. And it's so unfair. And that unfairness chafes at me. The same way it chafes at Adam. Everybody should be able to afford a house. Everybody should be able to afford to buy a house. That is just... It's just galling to me that people can't afford to buy a house. It's galling to me that there are people bidding on rental properties in Sydney at the moment. Like, how is that not illegal? I also think people should be, it should be free to get an education. You should not leave university with 60k debt. Like, we're lucky. We live in good countries. Like, yes, we Mm. pay for it, but it's reasonable. Having Hex Mm. is not a bad, like, big deal. It's not like in the States, where it's unhinged what people leave with. No, if you have Hex higher education contribution scheme or something, I think Mm -hmm. it is. If you have Hex here in Australia, I know that you don't pay back until you're over a certain threshold. When you leave school, even the federal loans in the US, when you leave university, you are meant to pay them back straight away, even if you don't have a job. You don't get, like, you get maybe a couple of extensions if you're in real dire circumstances, but you're on the hook for those until they're done. And they charge really not great interest, so. Up until very recently, well, until I was in New Zealand, actually, if you left Australia, they didn't make you pay if you were overseas (laughs) and then people like me kept leaving and they were like excuse me you need to pay that back and I was very grumpy about that so funny and if they would make it easy it would be fine but they never make it easy for you to like transfer money and pay it back do they it's not like a simple procedure it's like a whole song and dance and it's great when you're it's the same here in New Zealand and in Australia if you are in the country they just take it out of your paycheck which I think is grand you Mm. don't even see it going and it's not that much paycheck to paycheck what they take yeah. out of it it's like but taxes. i yeah i have to do a tax return and then i get a bill to say how much my hex contribution is for the year and Aww. that's quite quite confronting <laughs> yeah i'm sorry i think they it's take okay. it out of pre-tax salary as well which is we're getting into the we're old and we talk about finances but i'm pretty sure hex gets taken out of pre-tax salary as well so it actually works out better for you yeah because then they tax what's left so if they're taking out more and if you're paying it off more you can actually get yourself knocked down into a slightly lower tax bracket which is slightly better for you so yeah they yeah. do make it better which is a, a nice way to seg into like how disconnected blue feels from her school slash life outside of yeah. kind of being with the gangsy even yeah. like being outside of fox way this is this weird world where the supernatural doesn't exist and that's not really a world she's interested in. Yeah, I did wonder, I mean, we've talked about this before, how she feels so different and outside of her school, but I wonder if her family being so close and insular has kind of, like, done her, uh, given her a bit of a disadvantage when it comes to, like, being able to socialize with just, like, the average person. Because mm. she's quite a snob in the way that she won't just talk to people. She's not interested in them, unless they have something, like, fantastic or wonderful to offer. 
And I've always thought of Blue as someone who I would like to be friends with, but I don't think she would be friends with me. And that was kind of like, oh, yeah, no, I'm probably one of those people that she would secretly despise or maybe overtly despise because <laughs> I'm very much in this real world. It was very interesting. So what do you think that her her family life being as it is, is kind of not prepared her for well, that's socializing both a, with Normans? I think, yeah, I think it's both. A protective thing and probably a harmful thing in the way that mm. if you have already have your unit why would you bother expanding your unit and it's not until something happens that you realize that maybe that's not enough i'm thinking of an about a boy how he talks about two yeah, not being enough yes. because it's fine but his mother's going through some serious bad things and he's like i need a bigger unit right and i feel like yeah. blue is facing that now because suddenly mora's gone and she's like the unit is fracturing so it's yeah. very upsetting but yeah she doesn't have connection because but other people make it hard to connect with them as well and you know That's me true. i'm a very insular person as well like i don't talk to randos and i am also very dismissive of everyone else so in a way i don't blame her for that yeah because most people are tedious <laughs> Sorry, Your friends people. have all been vetted, I think. Like, everybody that you are friends with has been vetted by someone or you liked for another reason. Like, they went through a vetting procedure. Mm. An interview process. <laughs> yeah, you're like, okay, Mara said this girl's cool. I'll talk to her. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you, Mara, for vetting me. I appreciate you very much. <laughs> so I feel like Blue's kind of like that in a way. Yeah, people have to be vetted. Yeah. It's like she only really tolerate she only really tolerated Ganzu, right? Because Adam, she thought Adam was okay because they had commonality and then she yeah. was like Adam says actually. he's Adam must think he's okay, so yeah. yeah. And then actually it turns out that she, all the things she didn't like about Ganzu in the beginning, she's now like, "Oh, she loves this Ganzu, the what is it? The ponderous I have to find it. It loves I love it so much." Is it page 66? I think so. Blue loved this ponderous, scholarly Gansey, too involved with facts to consider how he appeared on the outside. Yeah. Right? Like, she just loves that. He's like, are we to believe that Yolo Gok returned to Wales after leaving Clendower here? No, I reject it. Like, I love this interaction where he's basically talking to himself and she's following him around like, I like this guy. <laughs> I also love that scholarship as connection, both between Gansey and Mallory, but also yeah. how that really allows Gansey to make broader connections because yes. he's done the scholarship. Like, all that poets and politics stuff. And then Blue just really actually resents the connection she has with Gansey. Like, that biological yes. connection. She's mad at her body for betraying her, which is, like, such a mood. Yeah. <sighs> How many, like, complete jerks have you been like, oh, you're really attractive. I'm self-loathing at maximum right now. <laughs> Why are there so many jerks who are just, like, physically compelling specimens? This is my question. A cruel twist of fate. Man. I love how much Kala is worried. And I love that Kala asks Blue to come and join this reading. Mm. And then it turns out to be Green Mantle. And he's asking for Mora. And I love the bit where she frantically tries to memorize his features so she can describe them later. I'm like, this is A-plus living as a woman in the world. Like, must be able to describe every scary-looking male in the vicinity perfectly. Yeah. Gotta know. What if he? you need to describe him to the police later? Exactly. I mean, who hasn't done this? I feel like this is such a universal universal female presenting experience where if you are a girl and you're out, you feel like you have to be careful of like every dude there. Even if they seem benign, you still have to be like, mm, super sketchy, looking at all the people, yeah. threat assessments all the time. When we were doing it, I was watching something or talking about something and someone was like, send me a photo of the car of his number plate so I can know if he kidnaps you later Yes. On. 
And then another friend of mine the other day, she was like getting picked up for a date by a man. And she was like, I'm just going to share my location with you because <laughs> I've never met him. And maybe he, he kidnaps me. I'm like, great. Love this. This is a, a lot of responsibility for me. Yeah. But Look, yeah. I love being that friend because I'm always the text me when you get home. Thank you. Like, I'm happy to be the mom friend because people need to know. I do remember my friend Eliza pushing back on that a few times. She's like, I'll be home safe. Fine. And I'm like, I'm not worried about you. You're a very capable person. I'm worried about any yahoos who try and like sneak up on you and hurt you the problem with that is i always say that i will text people when i get home and then i forget when i am home and in bed i'm like oh yeah that was a thing i was supposed to do i can hear your mother nodding from the other state yeah mm, yeah <laughs> it's okay i had a lot of tangential this section which is a bit problematic <laughs> me too so much tangential stuff no, let's crack into it Okay, firstly, tea in the microwave is a travesty, and I am with Mallory, who says, who views it as a death sentence, like, 100%, get a kettle, don't make tea in the microwave, I hate it. Yeah, Yeah, I don't, yeah, we have an electric kettle, and I think it's the best thing ever invented, and I think I made Sarah get one, because I was like, this will change your life, and she's used it ever since and like everybody i know who actually buys an electric kettle in the u.s they never go back because they're so great oh, just the idea of heating water in the microwave just fills me with such dread i like ugh, it's like a whole body cringe i forgot about that and i'm like oh no <laughs> this is why you have coffee in america this is this is why they will make coffee in a dedicated coffee maker but they will heat tea water up in a microwave, and this is perfectly normal and acceptable behavior, and leave the bag in for a thousand years. And but I don't understand. Oh well, no, because you have filter coffee. That's right. I was going to say like yeah. if you mm, yeah, because we obviously have an espresso machine, obviously. Yeah. And I still have to boil the kettle in order to top up my espresso, right? Because it's hot oh, yeah. water and black, a shot. Yeah. yeah. Um. But no, you would just have the filter coffee. Maybe you could just put the mug under the filter coffee without the f- coffee in it and then hot water will drip into a mug even that would be preferable to a microwave but anyway mm, that's a side I think point that would work this is true. i <laughs> love that we yet again get to see that money keeps you young because blue couldn't decide whether you know green mantle was handsome from his demeanor or if his demeanor was fooling her because this idea that money keeps you young makes you look handsome a lot of people yep. who are, are very rich you were like kind of like are they attractive are they not it's just good living it's just yeah. easy living that makes yeah. you like that. When everything is taken care of, life is not that stressful. And it's the stress that ages you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I love that Persephone is like, Coca-Cola sure has them about her tarot cards. Like, this is a woman <laughs> who cannot remember her own age, cannot be bothered le- remembering anyone's name. But this one fact about Adam, he will forever be Coca-Cola sure. It's so just galling to his ego. <laughs> I know that we're not getting a Raven Cycle TV show, but I had really hoped that if they did get if we did get a raven cycle t-shirt that adam would have the coca-cola t-shirt and that would be a thing i hope someone in their props and costumes is like on top of this because this is such a huge part of the books i love that adam when ronan's having his winch about mallory is like yes why couldn't he have something normal like a raven (laughs) (laughs) i just love the two of them in that section it's so lovely i just love how they both there's a real moment where i thought they were really on the same page as well when Adam observes that his classmates were chattering and hateful and oblivious, which is exactly how Ronan views them as well. Yeah. And also, he describes Ronan as being like instant insolence, right? This was the version of himself he prepared for Aglenby, for his older brother Declan, and sometimes for Gansey. But not for you, hey boo. No. Yep. 
No, because they're, yeah, because he's his realest self around Adam, I think. But also he's so careful. He's so, so careful. But he's more real with Adam. Like he opens up and kind of like drops. And because Adam can pick up all these subtle hints, right? So he drops these really subtle hints. Like uh, he's, he knows everything when he's talking about Mallory. And, and Adam is able to like immediately pick up what Rowan is saying and like absorb it without having to respond. He's just like able to understand mm. them, which really speaks to their connection. Which I yeah, love. I also love that little observation that Blue has when she peeks into Ronan's forbidden room mm-hmm. about how the raven's cage was, you know, impeccably and incongruously clean, and how the rest of his room is really like messy. And it's just to me, it's just how Ronan shows love. Like he he takes care of the things that he loves. He loves Chainsaw. Yeah, her cage is clean. Where is Chainsaw? Yeah. Justice yeah. for Chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she's in Caveswater having a nice chill time so she doesn't have to go to class. I wouldn't want to take a bird to class. I feel like she'd be very bored in Latin. That's true. It'd be funny, though. Oh, it would be so funny. I like that Blue has that observation about Mallory, you know, the books, and she says on page 62, this yeah. struck her as impractical and Gansey-like and made her feel a bit more benevolent towards the professor. So sweet. I love that too. I love that all the impractical things about Gansey are now very dear to Blue, and it just makes yeah. my heart very happy. I know. And the other thing that really made me laugh was when Piper is talking about saging, and she says it get rid- gets rid of all the bad energy in a place. The house is full of it. And he says, that's just you. <laughs> Genuine lol. They're so weird. Their marriage is so weird. I'm like, how? Why? No. But also, it's very funny to read. Don't think you can have two narcissists in a marriage, but, you know, it doesn't work. I mean, as long as they have common goals, it's fine. But I think when they diverge, that's when it gets tricky. Mm. But yeah. Did you have any tangential? tangential? I do. I have a few. So we've already talked about a lot. One of the things that made me laugh was when Noah was sitting on the floor of the guidance counselor's office and he's like, I'd be way more sunshiny if I were a school counselor. Noah, sweetie, you are dead. <laughs> I just don't think that that's a viable career path for you. I mean, I'm not the kind of person to tell people that they can't do a thing, but also like, yeah, you are dead. And I had a lot about Adam needing a hug, <laughs> like, yeah. especially page 80 and page 81. Um, where Adam kept watching he's good at this part the observing of others it was himself he couldn't seem to study or understand how he despised them how he wanted to be them like oh little Adam and also the bit where he was talking with Gansey and um, on page 82 Adam said oh you were smart to figure it out about the alternator belt oh yeah um, I don't know Gansey replied but it was clear he was proud Adam felt like he had helped a bird hatch from an egg and that's like a really beautiful moment where Adam who had been so intimidated by this guy two years ago was like I actually got to teach him some things yeah I love that conversation I love when he's like oh it's the alternator and Gansey's like yeah you know I looked and the alternator belt was hanging out I'm like oh look at you you've learned so much I know and he wanted to and I love that he's just Wonderful. Oh, and the last thing the last thing that cracked me up was on page 63. Some foreign impulse urged Blue to pick up any of the mess, any single component, to improve upon the disaster. She did not. She backed away. Good girl, Blue. Don't clean up after those boys. They are perfectly capable of Horrible. cleaning up their own messes. Could have at least cleaned for Mallory. Gansey. I don't think it would occur to them to do that, though. Like, why would they think to do that? If it's not a problem for any of them, why would it be a problem for anyone they live with? Poor Mallory. No wonder he's always so stressed out and the dog has to practically wear him like a scarf. Yeah. 
I would be so alarmed if I stayed with someone and the kitchen was in the bathroom. I mean, hard same, yeah. That, and when she's yeah. like, she was very worried about the number of chip packets that were like in close I proximity see. to me. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what it reminds me of? Who has a wicker toilet? <laughs> it's unhygienic. So great. That's what it reminds me of. Mm. Oh, little Jimmy. <laughs> little Jimmy. <laughs> For anybody who has not watched as much Black Books as we have, that's what I'm referencing. It is a fantastic series. It's older now. I think it's still very funny. It sure is. Still holds up. It does. I think that's all I had for my tangential. We covered everything else. I love. I loved the section. Yeah, great section. Agreed. Do you have in depth? I do have in depth. So mine is on page sixty six. I actually to- tossed up it between two sections, but I decided mm. to go with page sixty six, which is when Blue and Ganzi are in the kitchen and they're having that little moment, and she's like, "Oh, my body is betraying me," but they're still having conversations. And then Ganzi sort of deflects and mentions that if you boil water in the microwave, you know, it'll explode if you touch it. And Blue says, "You shouldn't believe everything you read on the internet." So I think mm-hmm. it relates to the theme of connection because there's idea between there's connections between moments and ideas like something yeah. happens and that makes you remember something else or you recall a piece of knowledge because you're experiencing something and you're trying to remember what it is and whether you know what how it's relevant. So that's connection. Family maybe because yeah. you just like ribbing your family members. I don't know. That's a bit of a reach. But it really reminded me of a conversation that I have quite regularly in my household with my housemate. Because she'll often come in and she'll be like, so I saw this thing on TikTok and I'm always like, okay, have we verified it? Have you done some research? Have we like checked it out? And she's like, no, I saw TikTok and this is what it is. And I'm like, "Mm, I don't know if that is how we can go through life. And so now she started doing a thing where she comes in and she's like, so I saw a thing. I did some independent research. So it's no longer I saw a thing on TikTok. It's now independent research she's still only seen it on tiktok i'd like oh, yeah. to point out she's not looked into it any further <laughs> but it is quite funny and it is quite interesting because i am quite guilty of this as well sometimes you see something on twitter and you're like oh this is really interesting i can't believe mm. that this is a thing and then later on you're like wait that wasn't that wasn't a thing and i think there's a real compulsion within us to take things at th- that you hear at face value you someone mm. tells you a story you're like oh yeah sure but i think context is so important and often mm on the internet when things are shared in really short messages and things like short video clips a lot of that context is lost and having that information and that background like information is really important and especially in the way that misinformation spreads because you only need one person to decide that that's the truth and they then tell someone else who decides it's the truth and it just like proliferates over the internet and you yeah. completely lose sight of the context of a thing or the reality of a situation and everyone just creates a new reality where this thing is actually true which it may or may not be. So I just think going forward, remember that when you see something online, it's only part of a story and it's worthwhile to double check that and do some look some, look into it, some credible sources before you go ahead and spread it and like repeat it yeah. because often, very, very often, it's not true. So yeah. yeah, just a good reminder for us all. Absolutely. That is something that I worry about a lot because I love those like life hack videos and like Mm. I would never try most of them I just think they're fun but there's an entire YouTube channel there's a food scientist I believe an Australian food scientist who runs like a debunking YouTube channel who like will debunk all of these 
little hacks for cooking especially and some of the things that you could do are really dangerous like you could get really badly injured so um, I will find her YouTube channel and put it in the show notes because like it's really good to have I pretend that I don't know how to use YouTube because it is endlessly amusing to me to tell my children I have no (laughs) idea what YouTube is but I actually will dig that up for everyone I I feel like it's important to find the debunking and maybe you can tell your homie that that's some independent research (laughs) just to save her from any injuries that might occur I mean it's usually just really silly things and not really relevant but (laughs) so it is often cooking related actually it is like oh I saw this thing on TikTok and I'm like "Mm." like she was boiling eggs in like a way to quickly get the shell off a boiled egg she was doing something that she'd seen on TikTok and I'm like I feel like this is more work than just straight up peeling the egg but okay sure yeah if there Anywho. would be a way to get the egg off cleanly, I would have figured it out by now. And there is not. It just is never going to happen. It's a myth. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was your in-depth marginalia? Mine was also when they're in the kitchen because it's a beautiful bluesy moment. Mm. Um, so on page 67, uh, she wished she knew if fighting this feeling would make Gansey's foretold end destroy her any less. So the context is they're having a moment, a capital M moment in the terrible kitchen in quote marks, kitchen at Monmouth, and Blue is furious with herself for feeling any emotions about Gansey that are not purely platonic. She's warring with herself about the way her connection to him is deepening and wondering if holding herself back would actually spare her any pain, knowing that he's going to die. So I think there's a lot of connection and family interplay here, especially if we look at the Gansey as like a family unit on their own, and Mm. the way that she's not willing to sort of disturb the dynamics in the way that he's not willing to disturb the dynamics but also i think that blue is at that point where she's starting to peel away from her family of origin and realize that she will have to strike out on her own she's having a year of seeking out a sleeping king she's made a really strong friend group for the first time in her life and then she's got romantic feelings for a guy who's gonna die within a year um and i think she's trying to be cautious both to preserve a friend group and preserve her own heart um both of her families, her 300 blocks away and her Monmouth family, matter so much to her, but she's at this intersection of not knowing what actually comes next, and that's really hard. Her instinct is to protect herself, which is fair, but that comes at the cost of a deeper connection. I don't think that there's any specific text I had in mind that this calls back to, but I do firmly believe you have to love wholeheartedly, even if you get wholeheartedly smashed to bits when it all falls apart. I know that for me, I would rather have a broken heart than regret that I didn't give myself over to a genuine connection. Mm. So my advice going forward is to love wholeheartedly, deepen those connections, be vulnerable, even though it is the worst. Yeah, take the risk, right? Yeah. It's not going to feel any better. Like, it's not going to feel any better if you don't give in to that love at the end. Like, it's just not. I don't know. I don't want to sound like a Nicholas Sparks novel, <laughs> but like. No, I, I agree. I think sometimes just take the risk because you're not going to regret taking the risk. Even yeah. if it hurts, at least you know. I think the what ifs are the worst. Like, I'd rather mm-hmm. try and fail than not try at all. Exactly. And you don't regret trying, I think, as much as you regret not trying. Yeah. Because it's the what if that haunts you. Exactly. Who would you like to spotlight this week? I'm actually going to spotlight Noah, which is not someone we spotlight very often, but I think he's losing what little of himself he had left in this moment. He's really struggling with that. And he's just, it's rough. It's rough when he's like having that moment when Blue's like, oh, should we try and help you move on? And he's like, no, 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 no. Because he's actually really scared of that as well. He's just like trapped in this cycle, the circular moment. He doesn't know what time he is. He's slipping around, you know, it's just, he's losing 
who he was. And I think that's really difficult. So I wanted to spotlight him for that. Oh, I love that. Just as you like to spotlight? I'm going to spotlight Blue. She's really going through it right now. Mm. She's been a sensible, very straight-laced teenager. She's been sensible her whole life. And she's so tired of having to be sensible, of having to have a safety school, of having to look to reasonable things. She's hampered in her dreaming. And I really feel that so... I just want to spotlight Blue. I feel like she's having a rough time. Yeah. You should be nice. allowed to dream as big as you like. Yeah, you should. And it's so hard when your dreams are crushed and you realize that something's not going to happen, not because of your own abilities, but because of something completely outside of your control, i.e. Yeah. money. Yeah. It's also really hard when you're the kind of person who has to have a very specific outcome. Like, it can't just be okay no matter what you do. She and Adam are similar in that way. If you can't bend, it's hard when you are not yeah. able to get what you want. You end up breaking. Yeah. Um. Do you have any homework for our listeners this week? I do not. I had a really rough week, so sorry, people. Nothing from me. How about you? That's okay. I read If You Come Softly by Jacqueline Woodson. I believe it's middle grade, but it does have high schoolers in it. But it is beautiful and it is extremely short. It took me not very long at all to read and it destroyed me, but in like a beautiful way. Um, everything Jacqueline Woodson writes is incredible, actually. She's an amazing author and she's written a lot of books that are in verse and I love her. But If You Come Softly was just sitting around on my Kindle and I needed a break from the endless Agatha Christie read that I'm doing at the mm -hmm. moment and that was kind of a perfect just mm. really perfect thing to read so highly recommend and also we've been watching the weekly with Charlie Pickering which if you're in Australia it's actually pretty funny and we enjoy the you cancelled he has a big stamp that says cancelled and he cancels something every week which is pretty funny too Simon likes yeah. to argue with him but I think it's funny great awesome next week we'll be reading chapters 11 to 16 through the theme of faith Look Sounds forward to that. Good. Gotta keep the faith. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for potting with me. Well, thank you. This was really beautiful. I had such a good time. Always. And I'll see you next week. All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com. Check out our Instagram or maybe dash off a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 